0: Can you hear me? Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Thanks for braving the weather. I know some of you, it's your very first time coming to Kaya. And uh, man, what a day to to come on. I know some people get real scared with this weather. So I'm I'm grateful that you made it out this morning. And and we're thankful that you're here. Welcome. Um, Before we get started this morning, we are going to be in Acts chapter 8. We'll start the next chapter. We were in 7 for quite a while. Um, But uh, we're going to be in chapter 8 today. I I do want to take a moment to acknowledge something real quick, um, this is uh, Jacinda and Miyoko's last week with us in Kaya. Um, mm, mm. So first of all, you know, uh, I, we've already had a, a little bit of time to grieve uh, Jacinda leaving us because she's going to go marry Taylor or whatever, <laughs> <clears throat> and, and, that's, and that's cool, that's cool. Um, I'm 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 all right with that. Taylor's a good dude. Uh he's all right. Um No, I, I love Taylor and I'm I'm really excited about uh what God is going to do in that and and so but it <clears throat> um the last couple years um Jacinda has really been like a daughter to me in many regards and so um I love her so much. It's just, you know, whatever. <clears throat> And then, you know, with Miyoko, it's hard too because it's unexpected. And uh, she, she feels, and, and she knows in her heart, the Lord's con- and confirmed that she needs to go back to Japan to be with her family. And uh, there's a need there. And so she's got to go back to minister to them. They don't know Christ, and so this is her opportunity to go and to speak truth. But it doesn't change the fact that it's difficult for us, even knowing what God is doing it doesn't mean that it's not hard and and so um i want i want you both to come up here so i can pray over you and we're going to pray together um for for them for God to use them and um for his blessing on them and i just i love you so much hmm. dear heavenly father lord uh i'm grateful for my sisters and uh it's funny, after all these years just watching people in my life uh, come and go uh, for, for all sorts of reasons, Lord, it doesn't, it's still something to mourn for me in my heart. And, uh, and so, God, uh, I pray that you be with these women. It's, it's so much easier uh, to send people away and to see them go knowing uh, that you're going to use them. And so, Lord, I just pray for fruit in their lives, Lord, so that we would feel and know in our hearts and our mind uh, that, Lord, that all of this, all of this is worth it. Every, every bit of it, every moment, um, all the times in discipleship, the times of worship, the times of teaching, the times of fellowship, the times of friendship, um, the times of pain and suffering and prayer together, that all of these things work together for good. Lord, you would sharpen us, that you would strengthen us, and you make us able to go, no matter what the circumstances, that we are ready. And so, Lord, I pray for them, and I ask that you would use them mightily in their family's life, in their new family's life, uh, Lord, um, that they would have people around them to keep them accountable, to sharpen them, to challenge them, especially for Miyoko. I know that she's going kind of into the unknown. She doesn't have this, uh, where she's going. She doesn't have this kind of family. And so, God, I just pray your protection on her, Lord, that you would provide for her friends, true friends, uh, family that that Lord can build her up and strengthen her, and and so, Lord, uh, we just ask uh, for strength in this time. Lord, we pray for a sm- for smooth transition. Lord, we pray for uh, purpose and protection in the call. Um, Lord, we know that there'll be suffering. We know there'll be trials. We know that there'll be mental. Hurdles to overcome, emotional hurdles to overcome. But Lord, I pray for joy and peace in change and transition, just like we've been talking about in the book of Acts. That that this can actually be joyous as much as anything else. And uh, and so, Lord, we love them and we pray your your blessing on them. And uh, and Lord, please fill the void um, that uh, that they leave. We pray this. Uh, In the name of your precious and holy Son, Jesus Christ, amen. I love you. you. Okay. Welcome to Kaya. That's not awkward, is it? Who's the weepy guy? Oh, man. I can't, I can't, I'd like, I wish I could tell you it's going to get better for me. But you never know where this is going. Brent, what are you Brents over there like, nope. Everybody just expect he's going to cry the whole time. Just be ready for it. Thanks, Brent. Vote of confidence there. I promise you I am I am stable. I am stable emotionally. Um Acts chapter 8. So, for those of you who haven't been with us on this journey through Acts, I figure it's appropriate to start in Genesis. <laughs> so, in the beginning of, of creation, uh, God, uh, God did this thing where He created uh, a man, uh, Adam. And, uh, and Adam, he gave Adam all kinds of purposes that we can read about in Genesis, all kinds of things to do and to be. Uh, he, was, he was called to, to oversee and have oversight of creation. Uh, he was called to be fruitful. Uh, and God gave Adam uh, a wife, Eve, that they might be fruitful together and, and multiply themselves in the earth with the primary objective that God would have worshipers. God wanted worshipers. There was a void in his heart, actually. Uh, because of the loss of of the angelic host that was worshiping him uh, prior to the creation. And and there was a loss for him. And he wanted to uh, fill that void with worshipers who had a free will choice to follow him. And so he made creation. Now the problem with that is that Adam and Eve did have a free will. And uh, when the opportunity presented itself for them to choose something outside of God's objectives and purpose, they did so. Okay, They fell for it. And, and they did so knowingly. The, the, the serpent uh, uh, was subtle and the serpent was was uh, slippery and sneaky. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that they, they knew what God had asked of them and they chose to do the wrong thing. Okay, They fell for the lie and they chose to do the wrong thing. And, and what that did is it, it sent a curse upon man. And uh, God had no choice but to let us suffer the consequences of those decisions. And so... Throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, which makes up like this much of your Bible, okay, all of this right here is the story of how man continually failed uh, to, to overcome the sin in their life. Uh, of their own volition, they struggled repeatedly, over and over again, to actually come into that worship that was intended for them. To come into those purposes, to come into those objectives that God had set for them at the very beginning of time. And so they struggle and they struggle. but all along the way, God kept telling them the story of a coming Messiah. Of a, a man who would be all God. Would be all man and all God at the same time. Who would come and live a perfect life who would come and love them more than they had ever been loved before, a a, a man, a, a man that was all God, that was willing to extend Himself and suffer on their behalf, that they might find truth. Now, the thing that they didn't fully comprehend was that it was going to require His death, burial, and resurrection to see the thing done. I mean, even the disciples, the men that followed Jesus didn't fully understand what it was going to require for them to find salvation. They didn't know. They didn't get it. All of the prophecies and all of the stories through all, all of time, when they got to the point where Jesus was on trial and he was, being, he was being nailed to the cross, they did not fully understand. It wasn't until He had been buried for three days and rose again that they really, truly understood what salvation meant. And mankind had never truly known love until that moment. Now, after His resurrection, He spent a time with His disciples, with His followers, teaching them and training them for a very specific work. And that was to take the message of His death, burial, and resurrection to all of mankind that they might choose to repent of their sin and follow Him the way He always intended. And so Acts is the story of that group of men who chose, in the face of of opposition, oppression, persecution, who chose to take the gospel to the entire world that other people might know salvation. That they might be able to choose to follow him. That they might have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and they might be used in this world, that we might ha- have a meaningless life, that we, that we wouldn't have to be born into a world without purpose and meaning, see- seeking and, and looking and searching for good in the world, searching for happiness that, that's temporal, that's, that comes and goes, and then lay on our deathbed and say goodbye. God wants us to have something greater. And so he chose to use a group of men to turn the whole world upside down. And they did. They did. And Acts is the story of that. Now, we just spent some time talking about one of those men. His name was Stephen. He was uh, a deacon, actually, in the, in the early church. And Stephen was full of wisdom. And uh, because of that wisdom, because of the, the message that he preached... Um, he found himself at odds with the religious order. Okay, so, so there were religious Jews who didn't want to believe in Jesus Christ and he found himself, himself at odds with them and there came a line of questioning and they put him on open trial. Okay, uh, And they put him on trial for blaspheming their religious ideals and he had an answer for them. He had an answer for them. And what he did is he walked through the Old Testament and he talked about how men of old, men of the Old Testament, who followed after God were always persecuted and they always, because of their religiosity and their their choice of tradition over God, they always rejected those types of men. And when he got to the end of his story, they remained in their sin and they remained in their wickedness and they chose to kill him. Let's look at Acts chapter seven, verse fifty-four, to remind ourselves of what happened. When they heard these things, they being the the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. You can almost picture the violence in their words, the way that they spoke and they yelled. You could picture them tearing their garments, and you can you can see the anger and the rage. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So that was a really, that, that story, I mean, is a very heavy one, uh, but also a very inspiring one. And, and we got a lot from that story. We got lots of principles uh, from that story. And I want to point something out to you. This story is a very pivotal moment in Acts. We see here, and, and, and many, many biblical scholars, many theologians would say, what we see here is when Stephen looks up to heaven, he sees a Christ that's standing. Okay, But as things transition away from a Jewish focus, Christ changes his posture. After Stephen dies, we no longer see, when we hear Christ described, he's no longer described as standing. He's described as sitting next to the Father. And some would say that this is a picture for us that Christ is choosing to sit and wait until the Jews are ready once again to receive him. In other words, we don't see him standing any, any more active and ready for his return. What we see is a Christ that's sitting and waiting for the Jews to be ready for him. At that time, he'll stand and be ready once again. So, man, Stephen's dead. Stephen's dead. Now what? Now what? What happens next? Well, things break loose. Okay? So are we ready for for chapter Mm 8? Have I bored you yet? Okay. Don't worry, it's coming. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Now this is always a very shocking verse for me. Okay, After, after ch- chapter 7, you get to ch- chapter 8, and what you see here is Saul. The, the Saul that would become Paul, the Apostle Paul that we revere so much in our, in our New Testament. The, the, the one that we look to uh, as, a, as a leader and an example to us. And I'm always shocked at the, at the beginning of chapter 8 to find my Paul not looking like Paul. The Paul that I love is not here. This is someone else. This is the man Saul, a wicked man. Where is my Paul? You know? The man of God that I know. And you know, I'm, I'm often very, very thankful that people that I know, uh, my, my church family, the people that I minister with, they don't know the man that I was before I knew Christ. I'm often very, very thankful for that. Eric, did you say praise God? Was that you? Oh, okay, Alex. <laughs> Like, yeah, that guy must have really sucked. (laughs) No, he did. He did, honestly. I'm glad that people don't know that person. And the older I get, the more I begin to realize that I actually don't know that person. I don't actually remember him very well. I don't really know what inspired him, you know. Emotionally, I try, to, I try to think back on who that was. And I actually don't, I don't recognize him whatsoever. And I am, I'm very much thankful for that. Uh, but yet, here we find a testimony of probably one of the greatest men to ever live. And we get to see his dirty laundry. We get to see just how evil and vile he was before he came to know Christ. Here we find wicked Saul, the man that would become the apostle. A religious man, well-trained, well-respected, a persecutor. In his mind, there was nothing wrong with his hostile uh, campaign against what he considered to be a cult. I mean, try to put yourself in his shoes. He'd grown up a Jew. He grew up well-trained. He grew up learning the Bible, learning the Torah, knowing it very, very well, being trained by the most prestigious of religious scholars, and he believed in his mind that he was putting down occult insurgents. And so, so, he was a facilitator of the death of Stephen. He believed it was justice. You know, Saul's religion was, was religion of the worst kind. We've been talking about religion a lot lately. We've been talking about the difference between religion and a relationship with Christ. Okay, there is a distinct difference. And and what we see here is, is religion of the worst kind. You know, he was so pious that he was unwilling to throw a stone. You know, he wasn't picking up any stones to, to stone Stephen, was he? He wasn't willing to get his hands dirty. But he was willing to hold their coats. He was willing to facilitate. You know, what we know from Scripture is that, that being a facilitator of evil is just as bad as doing the deed yourself. You know, Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5, just to have an, an adulterous thought, a lustful thought against someone else is as bad as actually committing adultery. So here He is, with evil in His heart, facilitating wickedness. And He is as complicit in the act of killing Stephen, as the men who actually threw those stones. It's vile. It's gross. It's an awful picture of who Paul was. But here's the point. Even the most vile, most self-righteous, the most sinful, the most proud person, has the capacity to receive Jesus Christ. Even the worst of the worst can, can obtain mercy. They can find love. You know, Paul wrote later on in his life to Timothy about this. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, And I, th- I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who is before a blasphemer and a persecutor, And injurious, but listen, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You know, he owned, he owned his wickedness. He owned it. He recognized it. You know, I haven't, I haven't seen uh, the, the, the Apostle Paul movie, but Alex keeps telling me about it. And he, uh, Has anybody seen it? Has anybody seen the, Okay, some of you. I, I still need to see it. I need, I need to watch it. But, but the way Alex describes it for me is pretty powerful, you know. It's a story. I guess basically the premise is Paul is in prison, and he's writing what would be his... Final letter, and, and, and you're seeing as he's writing, and, and you're seeing it's one of these, you know, lots of, uh, of going back, right? So you're seeing him going back in time and imagining what his life was like. And I haven't even seen the movie, and I'm like over here messed up about it because Alex has told me just how compelling it is. And, and uh, uh, apparently, in the film, you, you see Paul is, uh, falls asleep in his prison cell. And he is uh, dreaming. Uh, it's a nightmare uh, of all of the faces of the people that he had a part in, in murdering and imprisoning. And he sees their faces in his nightmares. You know that would be pretty hard, wouldn't it? And he sees Stephen in his nightmares. And what we're, we're seeing is that it was a struggle for Paul his whole life to know that he was the chiefest of sinners and that he could be used. How could I be used after that? And uh, I, without giving too much away, I mean, I haven't seen it either, but I know the end because I, I, I wanted to hear Alex tell me. And he, and he says, the very end of the movie, you see Paul pass into heaven. And the first person to greet him is Stephen. <clears throat> you know, I, I I went to India a few years ago and I've told you this story before, but it's it's always really powerful for me uh, to think about this. We went it was me and Uriah and Blade and, and Dan. We went and we preached in India uh, and, and we were used, God used us uh, to minister to a bunch of growing pastors and leaders in a region uh called Rayagata City called Rayagata. In a, in a state called Odisha. And uh, it's a fairly, I mean, whatever you see in a, in a movie about India, that's what it was. It was that, okay? Uh, and uh, it, was, it was impoverished, and there was villages villages. And... Now, about ten years ago, about a, a decade ago, just over a decade ago, there was an insurgence of uh, radical uh, Hindus, who um you know to make a long story short, they were convinced that, that the Christians had been a part of the murder of someone. It was a false story, it was trumped up, and they used it as an opportunity to go and to kill christians and so they killed about four hundred Christians in this city in this region and, and and it was uh they burned churches down and uh and it was bad it was bad and uh there were some men who were at this, at this conference, this, this training workshop, if you will, this Bible school that we were part of, of teaching in. And uh, perhaps even Brian may have met, and Seth and Alvaro may have met some of these men uh, while they were there as well. But uh, there were men there who, uh, who had previously persecuted one another. And there's a story of, of one of the men who was imprisoned in jail uh, for his faith. And while he was in jail, uh, the jailer actually made him eat his own fecal matter. Okay? Now, the end of the story is this. That jailer accepted Christ. And now those men are friends. And they sit next to one another at the Bible Institute. Let me explain something to you. There is no one, no person, who is beyond forgiveness. And if we don't believe that, if we aren't convinced of that, then what is our faith? The gospel is for sinners, for liars and murderers alike. Romans 6.23 says, for the, for the wages of sin is death. We all deserved it. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Matthew 9.13 says, But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. Jesus' very words. See, the gospel is for sinners, which should actually bring us great hope that none of our friends or our family members or the people that we care about or the people we don't even know yet are beyond his mercy. The question for you is this Do you know someone who seems beyond God's reach? Do not fret. God is able. He is able. Key point number one. All people have the capacity to receive the gospel. It is our job to speak and pray in light of that. All people have the capacity and I use that word as a very important word to receive the gospel. It is our job to speak and pray in light of that. See, it's our doctrinal position that men have free will. That's our doctrinal position. We believe that the pattern of the whole of Scripture proves that out. Now not everyone will agree on that fact, okay? And for them, I'm sorrowful over their doctrine because what it does is it, is it makes it makes the story a little less sweet, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't have time to get into that, but go back to, to our study on Romans and start in chapter nine and listen listen to that series. And you'll learn why the gospel is for all men. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Very simple. And if we don't believe that, then I think that we struggle to speak and pray in light of the gospel and its power and its magnitude and its ability to reach every person. So my faith says that because Jesus Christ desires for all men to know him, and because all men have the capacity to receive the gospel, it is our job to speak and pray accordingly. We have to believe that. Second Peter three: nine the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. We are, a, we are to be a people of love, a people that believeth all things, hopeth all things, that God's perfect will would be worked out in the lives of, of all those we love. We've got to hope. We've got to believe. Otherwise, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are you doing on your college campus or in your Bible study or in your workplace? What are you doing? If God can't reach all people, then what good, what good is all of this evangelism? What good is it? Okay? I'm so thankful. Connor just told me that she led uh, her first friend at KU Med to the Lord this week. Praise God for that. She's already got the next person in her line of sight. And so this is the way she said it to me. She said, I have another friend who's close. You only use that language if you believe it. I have another friend who's close to faith. Not yet there, close. See, this is the way we talk because we believe that our God desires every soul and is, is willing to is willing to go above and beyond what he's accountable to do that some might be saved. And I thank God for the testimony of Paul in light of that. Now, back to our story. Uh, Now that Stephen has been murdered, an outbreak of persecution follows. The Christians were now facing such outright persecution that they believed that they only had one choice, and that was to leave everything they knew and go live among Christians. Uh, the Gentiles. Okay, now listen. Verse 8, uh, sorry, chapter 8, verse 1. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions, regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So, so Luke refers to this as a great persecution. Now, we're going to learn here in a moment what that means, a great persecution. But you don't use that word lightly. The Holy Spirit doesn't just give you that word lightly. Okay? It was a great persecution. In other words, in terms of its breadth and depth, it was a great persecution and it had great impact on the people that lived in Jerusalem. Now, what is significant to note is that the church in Jerusalem was attacked, but through that they were used by God to spread the gospel into regions where both Jews and Gentiles lived. See, here's the deal. what Satan, What Satan intended for evil... God intended for good. Because to this end, they would accomplish exactly what Christ had asked of them in the first place. Let's go back. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is talking to the disciples and He says, But ye shall shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto Me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. This was the objective. Now, what, what Satan was using to suppress the gospel, God was using to further it. This Guys, listen. All of history is comprised of that narrative. That is exactly what is happening throughout all of humankind, for all of human history. Is that playing out, this back and forth. Greg Axe refers to it as, a, a, a pastor friend of ours refers to it as the great chess match. Okay? Satan makes a move. God makes a move. And they counter each other. Well, until checkmate. And then Jesus just smashes the chessboard after winning. He just smashes it. He likes to gloat. Jesus, in my mind, in the chess match, at the end, he, he gets to gloat a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah. So in the midst of pain and suffering, very few of us are in the habit of first asking this question. I wonder how God is going to use this. That's very few of us are, are in the habit of asking, I wonder how God's going to use this awful, hideous moment in my life. Now what we usually do is we sulk. And we 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 find self-pity and we say boo-hoo to ourselves. And we isolate ourselves maybe. I don't know what you do, what coping mechanisms you you use when you are distraught. okay? Uh, But you do that. And you don't ever think about what God is up to. Is God your Savior? Did He save you from death? Yes, He did. Is He there for you? Yes, He is. He's there for you. Even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of persecution. He's there for you, and he has an objective in mind. Even for Stephen, right? Even for Stephen, even in his death, there was a purpose, wasn't there? Think about that. Stephen dies, the church is scattered, the world is reached, right? Purposes, intentions. God is very thorough, he doesn't miss anything. Do we trust him? That's the question. Do we trust him? We must retrain the way that we think. Things fail, and we suffer. And the first thing that we must do is call upon God that he might use it to his glory. That's what we should do. That's what we should do. We spoke about this two weeks ago, I believe. So we're going to reuse that key point, if you don't mind. Key point number two. I I noted there, this is review, but it's worth reviewing. A mature minister accepts rejection as a way of life, knowing that it reaps life. This has got to be our mindset. This has got to be the way that we think. If we are going to be mature ministers of the gospel, we have to accept the fact that we will be rejected, we will be persecuted, we will come, come under fire from, from other people. Uh, life will not always be easy. It will be full of suffering. It will be full of trial. It will be full of temptation. And, and in the midst of that, God wants to use us. And He can use those things to bring about life and change and peace and joy he can use us to bear fruit, to see souls saved. And life might just suck all along the way. Uh, but there's coming a point in which it won't. And we trust in the eternal. See, when persecution comes, there are only two outcomes in the life of a believer. Either it builds resolve, resolve for us to preach, or it silences us. That's it. That's what it does. When the suffering comes, either it silences you or you lean in. One of the two. Which has been true of you? Has trial and mockery worked? Or has it lit a fire in you? Has it built zeal? Now, in Acts 8, verse 1 says, At the time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered abroad. As the church is is scattering, you see here, at the very end, everyone goes except the apostles. Now, it doesn't tell us why, right? It doesn't tell us why. Perhaps they believed uh, that it was their duty to remain at the very epicenter of the persecution out of duty, maybe. Perhaps uh, because the Sanhedrin had already killed Stephen, that they thought, we better not make any more martyrs. And so maybe there was actually safety for the apostles in Jerusalem. I, I don't know. Maybe they felt safe there. Perhaps they believed that they were supposed to stay centralized in Jerusalem, believing it was where the, the true church was supposed to be. Doesn't tell us that. Maybe it was a mixture of all those things. But listen to me, either way, the apostles had not yet realized the validity of Acts chapter 1, verse eight in going. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it yet. Yeah? They didn't get it yet. And that's OK. we're all a little slow. We're all a little slow. Okay, so we're going to talk about the going here in a moment when we get back to Philip. Okay, that might be next week's message. I'm not going real fast here. Okay, I'm going a little slow. Now, verse 2, shall we? (laughs) And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Okay, so here's a side note. A side note on honor. This is super important. So, while the per- persecution was at its most trying moment, some remained to pay tribute to Stephen and see that he received proper honor in his burial. Pretty interesting. These were, it says, devout men. That word devout means devoted, right? It means devoted men stayed. They saw it as obligatory, they needed to be there. Now certainly Stephen himself was looking over the banister of heaven and he probably didn't want any part of that. He's like, oh, come on guys, don't do it. That's not necessary. Right? That's the kind of guy Stephen was, right? Yeah, especially in his glorified state. Yeah, you don't need to do all that, come on now. No, it was important. It was important for the church to honor such a great man and to mourn such a great loss. It was important because he signified, Stephen signified, what we should be. He is who we should be. Full of zeal, knowledge, wisdom, and character. See, he knew. He knew God's Word. The way a person should know God's Word. And he knew how to speak it eloquently. And he, he was fearless. Fearless in the face of danger. And he had peace that passed all understanding. Here's our key point. A mature minister, a devout minister, honors great men and women of faith. That's what they do. And I think this is super important because I don't know if we do enough of this. I don't know if we take the time to do this. Now, I'm not talking about the worship of men or praising people in their flesh. I'm talking about acknowledging what God does in people. That we might aspire to have faith like that. You know, I've been to a lot of funerals in my life, sadly. And you know, it's always rough going to a funeral. Um, because when people get up to speak, you don't really know what they're going to say. You know? And you listen, and a lot of times, I've been to a lot of funerals where what people have to say about the deceased are like really superficial things. I mean I'm always a little bit shocked. You know, you keep your mouth shut and you try to not look shocked, right? That's not appropriate for a funeral, right? You know, you don't want to do all that, right? And that's going on in here. Like I mean, like oh, you know, Joe, he loved pizza. You know? He loved him some pizza. Boy, that guy You, I'm, I'm being serious I'm being dead serious okay like I'm literally referencing I've changed the name and the food just for safety purposes but I, I've heard things like this okay he ne- you know he never missed pizza night oh god you know it's sad to hear Uh, Because just beneath the surface of everyone's loving acknowledgments is a tinge of regret. You know, you can hear it. You can hear the regret, you know. But how great is it, whether in life or death, when we can point to a man or a woman of God and say, I desire to be as they were. I want to be like that. So here's some questions for you. Who in your life has a passion for God's word and is disciplined in their habits? Who in your life has a zeal for evangelism? Who in your life has had faith to overcome great adversity? Who in your life is fearless in their faith? Who in your life is blameless and pure in character? Who in your life has a godly marriage? Who in your life is a prayer warrior? Who in your life is hospitable and kind? See, these are the people we ought to acknowledge. These are the people that we ought to ask the Lord to help us to be like. See, when we see Stephen, do we just see another man in a long, old, old-fashioned story, a good old story from the Bible? Oh, yeah, you know, Jonah, Noah, and Stephen. You know? We trivialize it. Or do we see someone worth modeling our entire lives after? Do we look at it and we say, that man was real. He was living. He breathed breath just the way I do. He had a redeemed soul just like mine. He had the same great commission. He had the same objectives. Everything's the same. I want to be like that. I want to be like that man. I want to be like that woman. Who are the people like that in your life? The people that you can look at and say, I want to, in, I want to follow in their ensample. I want to model my life after them. Certainly, I, I hope to believe that you know people like that. The Apostle Paul says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye, ye have us for an ensample. Ensample just means a model. His advice is find the people that you can mold your life into. Right? You, can, you can look to and say, what they do, I want to be and do like that. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean into that, I'm going to pray about that, I'm going to use them as an example. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mimic the way they hold themselves, the way they treat people, the way they speak, the way they move, the way they pray. I'm going to mimic that, knowing that it's righteous. Who are those people in your life? Let's, let's, not, let's not move into this last point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here, okay? Because we don't have time to, to cover the next point thoroughly. So we've, we've talked about a couple things, okay? We, first of all, we've talked about how God can reach any person. That the gospel is for every living, breathing soul. And then he desires to set people free. Now, here, here, this is for you. This is the take home for you. Who do you struggle in your life to believe that God wants to save? Who do, you, who do you struggle with in your mind? Who you struggle to hope for? It's time to confess that and deal with it. Because we need to hope, we need to believe. That's who we need to be. It's a part of our character. It's a part of our faith. It's a part of the way we believe in our mind. Let's believe it in our heart as well. It's time to deal with that. Now here's the other thing. If you know that you're growing in your faith, everybody needs a Paul. Okay, and when we say that around here, what we mean is everybody needs someone they can model their life after. Everybody needs someone that they can look to and say, where that person's going, I want to go to." Because I know that they're following Christ. As they follow Christ, I want to follow them as well. Are they perfect? No. Are they going to fail you? Yes. But I recognize and see in them something unique. And I, I want to be like that. And so I'm going to pray like that. And I'm going to honor them. And I'm going to show them honor. Do you honor your I'm not saying this about me, I'm saying this about our pastors and our teaching elders and the leaders in your ministry. Do you honor them? Do you show your Bible study leaders honor? Do you listen to their counsel? Do you model your life in the way that they follow Christ? You say, you know what? That looks, I like that. That's appealing. I, I too will do that. If not, it's time to pray. It's, it's time to find those in samples. It's time to look for them. And it's time to model our lives after men and women who follow Jesus Christ. I want to invite the worship team up very practical today, but hopefully, uh, hopefully God is using it to speak to you. And if you know that you need to pray about your faith, about your hope, about your belief, if you know you need to pray, that God would give you someone to follow after, to model your life after. It's time to do that. Let's do that now. Okay? And let's really, really enjoy enjoy uh, Jacinda's Violining today, violaing, violining, violining. Viol- fiddling. Let's really enjoy that as we close out.